I mentioned that um, tonight, as indeed most occasions when I present the Word of God, I'm going to be having in the forefront of my mind those who do not yet know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And we would call this evangelistic. But at the same time, I want to minister to the believers. And I want you to be excited about what God has accomplished in Christ and what it has to do with your life and the potential it has for you. So let us pray. Father, we ask that you'd pour out your spirit upon your word tonight, that your word will be proclaimed with clarity, with revelation, and also with power, and received by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. My title, as you can see, is The Mystery of Godliness. The Mystery of Godliness. Our faith is charged with great and glorious mysteries. These mysteries surpass human imagination. There's no way we could apprehend them on our own. Nevertheless, they have been revealed in Christ. Now, I want to show you tonight how the power of godliness can work in you as you walk in the accomplishments of Christ. 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16 says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken into glory. This letter is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his assistant and one who in many ways would become his successor after Paul had gone to be with Jesus. And he's encouraging this relatively young man in the ministry and says, I give you so many instructions, but you know, I'm, I'm going to come and see you personally. And if, if I don't get there quickly, then at least in the meantime, you will know how to conduct yourself as a leader in particular in the church of God, the household of God. I love that picture, don't you? The household of God. It means family of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. In other words, the church stands by truth. The church does not produce truth. Truth produces the church. Did you know that? The, uh, the truth is not just what the church says. The church exists because of the truth of Jesus Christ that brings it into being. Now, I'm quite sure that he's thinking here about truth. And that's a very important word in today's generation. 
I'm not going to spend time arguing with you whether there is such a thing as truth. Frank Turek says, when anybody says to him, there's no such thing as truth, he asks them, is that statement true? <laughs> and if it's true that there is no truth, then truth must exist, and that statement falls to the ground. If it's not true, why should I listen to you anyway? But we know even in our society where they say truth is, is, is a matter of your personal choice, what you think, what you believe. You can have your truth, I can have my truth, and there can be lots and lots of different truths, no one truth at all. And yet we know when we go to the bank manager and we talk about our bank account, he doesn't want to know about relative truth, he wants to know about fact. He wants to know whether you've got money in your account or not. And you say, well, the truth for me is I've got a million pounds. And he'll say, I'm very sorry, that truth is not true. You are out of here. Now, so truth is something very significant, and we know what it means to stand by it and live by it in, in many, many areas. But also when it comes to spiritual truth. Why is it that it is very significant for us to know which bus goes to which place. Now, the bus number 52 passes by the door here, passes by the window here on my left, and will take you to Victoria. Is that right? Oh, and, uh, yeah, okay, I know, I know. So suppose I want to go there and say, all right, I want a number 25, please. I want the number 25 to take me to Victoria. No, there, there is a fact about it. There's a 52, not 25, and we accept that in this kind of realm. Why will we not also accept that God, who is truth, wants to manifest himself in such a way that we can be as sure of the way to heaven as we are sure that the 52 bus will get you to Victoria, as long as one comes along, of course. And that is another question. So when, when we come to spiritual truth, surely in this domain, which has to do with life and death and meaning and purpose and eternity, why would God not want us? Why would God not want us to have a measure of truth by which we can be sure in which we put our trust in Christ to be saved? Why? Why not? Well, I say, as we all know, that Jesus Christ was the truth and left a testimony behind and uh, the, the facts of the gospel give us faith and hope and courage to believe in Jesus that he's everything that he claimed to be. But you know that in the very early church, before the gospels were written in, uh, and, and passed down and some of the other New Testament writings had not yet been written, a, a lot of ways of communicating truth, one of them was by storytelling, and they could remember verbally what Jesus said and his parables and his stories and his sayings. And in those days, oral uh, society meant that people could remember great, great, great sections of writings or, or at least words which, which they uh, wouldn't necessarily have access to in a literary form, great oral society. And one of the ways was passing on Christian truth through psalms or, or hymns, uh, through Christian hymns and through creedal statements. And I'm not sure whether this is here is one of the early church worship songs or whether it was a creedal statement that people would repeat. 
and even in our society over the years, which was, has been very strongly an oral society before it was very, uh, so much literacy, uh, one of the ways was in stained glass windows depicting pictures of the gospel stories, and another way was by repetition. And people would declare the, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Do you remember that? All right. And so also for us in our Pentecostal faith, uh, uh, where, which has really much been introduced by Robert Sledden in the video tonight. By the way, that full video of Charles Parham and William Seymour is posted on katie.org by permission of Robert Sledden Ministries. You can hear the whole story. But birthing in that Pentecostal move of God, the declaration of the Word of God was very, very significant, very important. Even today, we declare the Word of God, for it's with the heart one believes, uh, uh, with the mouth one confesses, and the heart one believes. So when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in our heart that God raised them from the dead, we shall be saved. So there are declarations. Now this is very likely to be an early Christian creed. It has a cadence, has a rhythm, it has a development of thought and a language, syntax, and a, diff and a vocabulary that suggests that it was used in that way. So let's uh, read it as it says. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Wow, amazing, amazing truths. And so it starts like this. Paul says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Mystery, mystery, mystery. There are many mysteries in the world. Proverbs 30, verses 18 to 19. The writer of the Proverbs here, Solomon, or some other person similar, says, Three things are too wonderful for me. Four I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky. The way of a serpent on a rock. The way of a ship on the high seas and the way of a man with a virgin. Hmm, mysteries. And what this means is this is wonderful. It goes beyond your understanding. And it's observational and not really meaning mystery in the sense that it cannot be explained at all, but something that causes us to wonder. And there are many mysteries remaining, even in our apparently advanced stage of technological and scientific development. Do you know there's so much that we don't understand? Dark matter in the universe, black holes, and exactly what is gravity, or the ancient buildings, the pyramids, or indeed the supernatural, the unexplained phenomena, the sightings, and the records in ancient civilizations of their advanced skills, their inscriptions, their artifacts, and, and uh, testimonial to the unseen spiritual world made visible at various times and various places in different civilizations, 
of humanity. We all love a good mystery, something unexplained, something yet to be understood, something that's beyond our present understanding or our power to explain. Now, in the way I've been using the word mystery so far, it's the common use of the word today. It means something hidden. That's in popular language. A mystery, that's a mystery, it's hidden. Now, I want you to know that the Bible meaning of this word is almost the exact opposite. When you speak about a mystery in Scripture, it's not something that is beyond our understanding, that we can't explain it, we can't attain to it. Mystery in Scripture is not something hidden, but something that has been revealed. Yes, we could never have known it for ourselves, but God has revealed it. He's manifested it. He's accomplished it. So when God says, or Paul says, the Holy Spirit through him, great is the mystery of godliness, what this means is what God has revealed in Christ. The mystery of godliness. And, and in other words, if this is true, what is now being declared then it must be the most amazing revelation one could ever receive. God has given it, and tonight I want you to open your heart to be ready to receive this revelation. It is not just about what you are able to reason yourself into. There are reasons for believing, but beyond that, it's the, it is that capacity that God gives you to put your trust in Christ for your salvation, for your life, and for your living. And if this is true, then one of the most, there can be nothing more important than all of your life to discover. First of all, the possibility exists that it is true, and, and if it is true, I'm sure you want to find out about it. Now, you can go on a survey of all the nations and of all the religions, of all the beliefs all over the world, but I would suggest to you a good place to start is a religion, a religious claim that is utterly unique and is found nowhere else. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, another word that strikes me here, apart from mystery, obviously is a key word, yeah? But the other word that strikes me as a key word is confess. Great, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now, this word confess uh, is, is, a, is a strong word, suggesting to me that this was perhaps a, a, a kind of early Christian creed that the people would stand up and make their confession of faith. And um, so we need to be able to declare this. Now, as I quoted earlier in Romans 10, we confess with our lips and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead. The, the, the declaration of faith is very, very important. If we can declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, believe him in our hearts, we shall be saved. But making a bold declaration of this confession of faith strengthens your faith. It's what we do very often in our own private devotions and when we gather together in, in our meetings, we, we declare the word of God together. And so he goes through some of these declarations. Now, um, th th this, if I was to spend time on this, I'd have to do a whole, whole lot more work and research than just to straight do it tonight anyway, but still, 
it would be delightful to be able to do this, and maybe one day we will. We, we could just run for weeks in understanding the, the depth of the meaning of these phrases. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, taken up in glory, and all those things. But this is not a theology class. This is just an opportunity to, to get a glimpse of the great things that God has done. Now, I want to say about these phrases, these de declarations, is that they, they are progressive. The, it, it, there's a progression here. So first of all, uh, God was manifested in the flesh through Christ. When Jesus came, he didn't come and begin his existence on, um, here on earth. He was the pre-existent Christ together with God and became flesh. The Bible word for that is incarnated. The Christian word for that is incarnated. He became flesh. He was manifested in the flesh. Now this little phrase stands for everything that you read in the Gospels. The birth of Jesus. Well, actually, I want to start again. Uh, that manifested in the flesh is, is about everything that you read from Genesis through to the Gospels and beyond, because all the promises were made in the Old Testament, all right? This Gospel story doesn't begin with Matthew, it begins with Genesis, but that's another story. Okay, here we go. So this manifestation of Christ in the flesh has to do with the whole story of his birth. We're coming up to Christmas, and we're planning our Christmas programs here for you, and so uh, do your Christmas shopping early. Anyway, never mind about that. The birth of Jesus, his life, he didn't just come to exist for a bit and then die. He had a very special thing to accomplish and demonstrate in his life. You read about that in the Gospels. His birth, his life, and his death on a cross manifested in the flesh. And these are gospel facts. Now, moves on to say vindicated in the Spirit, vindicated by the Spirit. Now, there are many ways in which Jesus was vindicated. Can you think of some? Like, for example, the miracles that Jesus did, uh, demonstrated who he was, and that, that kind of thing. But I think particularly here, following on from the death of Jesus, it means his resurrection. He was vindicated. God demonstrated him to be his son through the Spirit of holiness when he raised him from the dead. And uh, this is what changed the disciples' minds about everything. If you want to be encouraged at the expense of somebody else, read the Gospels and look at the responses of the disciples. And some of you cell leaders are discouraged because of the response of some of the disciples in your cells. Jesus had it far worse than you. They blamed him. They contradicted him. They argued amongst themselves. They had no idea. He told them again and again and again, read my lips. The Son of Man shall be betrayed, handed over to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they will crucify him, and he, and he will rise again from the dead. He said it over and over again. They had no framework to grasp it. They should have known. It, the Old Testament is full of this revelation, but they were so blinded by the understanding that when Messiah came, he'd be like a kind of superhero and indestructible, and, and he wouldn't, this business of the cross, they didn't want to know about. They wanted victory, not a cross, although they had later came to understand that the cross led to the victory. And when Jesus was raised again from the dead, suddenly they understood everything that Jesus said was vindicated by his resurrection. And uh, even some of my friends, and I talked to them, they would admit, and I'm really glad of their honesty, they would admit 
that if the resurrection was real, right, then Jesus Christ is Lord. If the resurrection was real, then everything that we claim about Jesus and everything that the Gospels claim about Jesus and everything that the New Testament and indeed the Old Testament claims about this message is true. So I put it to you, go and have a look at the evidence. Talk to somebody in the Zoom room. That'll help you point in that direction. Okay, so I'm moving on rapidly. As you can see, we could stop by here and stay a little bit at each one of these points, but I want to move on. Vindicated by the Spirit, this is his resurrection. Then it says, seen by angels. Now that's quite a surprising statement because we know that there were angels who attested the resurrection and announced the resurrection. He is not here, he is risen. An angel said that. So in other words, the angels testified and they were witnesses of this event of the resurrection. But you know, so were others. So were others. Uh, Mary, Peter, James, John, they were, they were all eyewitnesses of the resurrection. In fact, all the apostles were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They saw the resurrected Christ. So why does it stop here and just say, seen by angels? Well, I think there's a whole lot going on here. It's primitive theology, but at this stage, Paul develops this later on in his writings. And anybody, it's an amazing revelation because what you need to understand is that when Jesus died and rose again from the dead, there was angelic visitation and angelic witness because Jesus triumphed over all the powers of darkness. All the spiritual powers were shaken. So this is a demonstration. Yeah, give Jesus praise. Give Jesus praise. This is a demonstration that the death and resurrection of Jesus shook the spiritual realm. And the angels that stood uh, loyal to God, they were celebrating in, in, in glorious majesty and, and they were absolutely amazed. And the other angels, the fallen angels or the principalities and powers, they were shaken and their, their kingdom was destroyed and, and, and Jesus defeated them. And because those uh, uh, gods of the nations and principalities and powers have been defeated by the death and resurrection of the cross, a death and resurrection of Jesus, because that's the, the, the case. This is what is now possible. What? Look at the next bit. Seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations. Do you know that is gospel? That's part of the gospel. Not just that the gospel is preached to the nations, not just the gospel that was preached, but the fact that the gospel could be preached to the nations is the gospel itself. Why? Because the principalities and powers, the gods of the nations, those principalities and powers that held captive and bondage different nations and places all over the world, including Great Britain, it all didn't happen here, my friends. No, 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 no. We were under the principalities and powers of the old uh, spiritual forces over this nation and this continent. And not just Europe, 
but South America, North America, Asia, Australia, all over the world, the world was in the power of demonic forces that blinded the minds of those who do not believe and they were under the grip of principalities and powers but now through the cross and resurrection Satan has been torn down from his place in the heavenlies and he can deceive the nations no more and we proclaim the gospel as part of the gospel itself. Give Jesus a praise. Oh, come on, this is a, an amazing spiritual truth here. Now then, because Jesus is proclaimed among the nations, the next thing not just is possible, but the next thing happens. He is believed on in the world. When we talk about the world here, this, is, well, this would be from a, <coughs> a perspective of, the, of a Middle Eastern person. And if we think about the nation of Israel, Judah, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, that would have been the then known earth right across the Mediterranean world. And the Apostle Paul is saying this with great delight. He was preached on in the world. The book of uh, Timothy is a little more advanced in the time of the writing of the, uh, of the New Testament. In other words, Paul was not just a young man here, you know. He was a seasoned soldier. And Paul's great vision and mission to the Gentiles was to reverse the curse of Babel when God said at Babel, scattered them, gave them lots of different languages and placed them under the supernatural powers of the sons of God and they were ruled not by God himself. He said, I am going to raise up for myself a new nation that shall be my nation, my inheritance, and I will be your, their God. And so in that way he turned his back upon the nations, but he did so in hope that they might search after God and feel after him. And when Christ came, he was able to proclaim, now is the prince of this world cast out. Now, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And the Apostle Paul may have longed, as R.T. was saying today, to be a missionary to his own people. Actually, he was a missionary to announce the triumph of Jesus over the gods of the nations and to say, hear, O nations, there is a Lord. His name is Jesus. You don't have to follow your idolatrous ways. You don't have to follow the demonic forces that have held you captive. You don't need to submit to the principalities and powers that would take you away from God. Those have been broken and the gospel is proclaimed to you and not just as you hear it, not just that you may hear it, but that you may believe it. And because he has preached, he has been believed. And when Paul wrote this, this was really spreading across the nations of the world. And from that day to this, there's not been any generation which has been different. Christ and the gospel message has been expanding. The gospel message has been, has been echoing right down to its very moment. And then he goes on to the final part of this confession of faith, taken up in glory. Taken up in glory. And uh, of course, this means his ascension. All right? But it, it hints at more than that. It's not just the fact that he went back to be with the Father, but that he's coming back from the Father to be with us as well and to bring glory. So this is a whole story, my friend. It's a whole story. 
It's not just about sitting in church and trying to be a good boy and girl. What this is, is a radical, revolutionary, spiritual manifestation of God that began 2,000 years ago in the person of Christ and can work in your life today. And when he says, great is the mystery of godliness, what he is saying, this is so great, this is so magnificent, that you can have it. <laughs> you can have it. Why? Because it's a mystery. What does that mean? You can have it because mystery is something that has been revealed, made available to you, and you can take it in your own heart and life. Now then, how wonderful. In this context, godliness is all that God has done to bring us to himself and also to make us to be like him. I want to finish by saying, the moment you receive Christ in this, that mystery of godliness that will bring you to Christ is the same mystery of godliness that will work in you so that you can grow as a believer and your life can be transformed and you can be part of this progressive manifestation of God's life in this planet. How does the life of God work in you? When you receive Christ, by faith you have hope and love takes charge of your life. When you have Christ in your life, you are being transformed and shaped gradually into the likeness of Jesus. That is, when we meet in our cell groups, by the way, don't, don't ever stop meeting in your cell group. If the London Marathon can run the 45,000 people and they can do it remotely, so we can meet every day in our cell groupings. And one of the most important things that we do when we meet together is to build one another up in Christ. Doesn't, doesn't just mean to say, God bless you, you know, stay, stay true for another day. No, we say, look, we want to see our lives shaped. We help one another. We don't condemn, we don't judge one another. We help and encourage one another. That's why you need to be part of a cell. And by the way, when I say check it out, because there are people out there who say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Katie cell leader. Uh, uh, no, they're not. No, they're not. Check them out. Check to see if they've got signed the cell charter, because if they are not directly related in following what the teaching is of this church and officially representing us, be very, very careful. A lot of people out there who are like birds on the, on the branches picking the fruit, so be very careful. But the point is, uh, you can check them out, you can get in touch with us in the office and say, is this person a real, is, is this person a real Katie soul leader? Uh, all right, so there are, there are people out there taking advantage of, of this, of you. So be very, very careful. Anyway, the point is this. You, you must line up with what God is doing in your life. And so, when we share with one another, we are building one another up into the image of Jesus. And God's power, the power of his salvation, works in us. Imagine this. Now, come on. Uh, okay, if I just want to encourage myself, I don't feel I need encouraging, but I can always go to a higher floor, all right? How about you? Listen, think about the power that it took for God to come down in the person of Jesus Christ, the miraculous power, born of a virgin, all the deliverances of Jesus in his early life and the miracles and the manifestations, his death on the cross and the power of that resurrection that raised him from the dead, seated him at the Father's right hand. And from there, his destiny is to reign, the nation, reign and rule over the nations. That power is the power of God. And it's that same power which is at work through the mystery of godliness. That same power is at work in you. 
This is not just a kind of think-think religion. This is not kind of say-say, say-so religion. It's not even just a do-do religion. This is a religion of power. God lives in us. And whatever you're going through, God can give you deliverance. Whatever you're struggling with, God can give you victory. Whatever your bondage is, God can set you free. Whatever your depression is, God can lift it. I'm not saying that this is a press button faith, that you just press this button and then everything is happy and, and nothing, nothing ever troubles you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this is a religion of power. It's a religion of reality. We can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not just believing something as a philosophy and an ideology. It is a revelation of God's power in your life. Now, if you want Jesus Christ, all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is say. Now then, all of us today, we're going to seek him in a new way and ask him to manifest his power in our lives in a new and fresh way.